Right, so we, uh, yesterday we, we saw David, you remember, at his worst. And today we're going to see Solomon at his best. And we're, we start in 1 Kings chapter 1, uh, the Jerusalem scene. David had been a successful warrior king, you remember, for 40 years, during which time he had unified the nation, defeated their enemies, successfully organized the nation's affairs, and prepared plans and materials for the temple to be built by his successor. Solomon was different from his father. He was young and had lived a sheltered life in the palace with his mother Bathsheba, who told David of Adonijah's rebellious action in declaring himself king. You remember the story, I'm sure. And then David sent Nathan the prophet and Zadok the priest to take Solomon to Gihon, a spring near Jerusalem, and anoint him king. So in chapters 2 and 3, we, tra we transition. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we transition from King Solomon, uh, King David to King Solomon. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. He, says, he said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He said, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, and his kingdom and rule were firmly established in his hand. Solomon was a diplomat and made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married his daughter. That was how you sealed alliances in those days. Throughout the years of his reign, he made many alliances, which required him to marry many wives. In fact, he had 700 wives, we're told, of royal birth and 300 concubines from nations about which the Lord had told Israel not to intermarry. And his wives led him astray to worship other gods. The Lord had also warned Moses in Deuteronomy 17 about kings, that they must not acquire great numbers of horses for themselves or return to Egypt to get more. Also, they must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold and must write for themselves on a scroll a copy of these requirements from Deuteronomy and read them all the days of their lives. This was something in which Solomon failed abysmally. He violated the law of Moses, not only by marrying many wives, but also by multiplying horses and depending on chariots. Contrary to God's command, he went back to Egypt for both horses and chariots. It would take Solomon seven years to build the temple in Jerusalem. But in the first years of his reign, he worshipped the Lord at Gibeon, which was the most important religious high place in Israel. He offered 1,000 burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord appeared to him there in a dream. The Lord said, 
Ask for, for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon said, I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this and said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And I will give you both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Solomon then returned to Jerusalem and the affairs of judging and governing. It was then he was asked to adjudicate between two women who were prostitutes, both of whom had recently given birth to baby sons. In the night, one mother lay on her son and he died. But she then took the other mother's baby and laid her dead son beside the other mother. In the morning, the women argued over who was the mother of the living baby. Solomon called for a sword and ordered for the baby to be cut in two and half given to each of the mothers. One mother agreed. She must have thought that it sounded fair to her, but the real mother was deeply moved out of love for her son and begged for the king not to kill the baby, but give him to the other woman. Solomon then discerned that the woman who was deeply moved was the real mother and gave the child to her. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. In 2 Chronicles, Chronicles 9, we read that Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth and the famous queen of Sheba sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold and robes and weapons and spices and horses and mules. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. We're told that he ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. Solomon received 23 metric tons of gold every year, not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the land. All King Solomon's goblets were gold and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. 
The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from all other countries. We tend to think that rich, powerful people must have an easier life. But in the book of Ecclesiastes written by King Solomon, he made it clear that isn't necessarily so, especially when you have 1,000 wives and concubines. This is what he wrote, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless or vanity, a chasing after the wind. I said to myself, Look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone before me, anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind, something you can never catch or truly understand. I saw that wisdom is better than folly just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Vanity. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. You may remember Dr. Stephen Hawking said he would devise a theory of everything by the year 2000, which would explain everything in one scientific theorem well, the year 2000 came and went. He failed and he's now dead. But how does all this apply to us? The world in which King Solomon lived and the fame and wealth and wisdom for which he was famous is of course far removed from our situations here in Gloucester and in Abbey Church. But there are valuable lessons for us to learn Solomon's God and our God is the same God. And he loves to bless us as he did Solomon. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He is also a forgiving God. And he forgave Solomon so much 
when he failed to follow the guidance for kings laid down in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, he seemed to do the opposite. He had so many wives and many horses and vast wealth. The Lord Jesus was king of Israel, and he was a stark contrast to Solomon. He had no wives. He had no horses. He had no wealth. But he knew the law of Moses. In fact, he was the one who gave the law to Moses. Are we careful to follow the instructions the Lord has given us in the New Testament? Do we read it often and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us into all truth? Do we love the Lord enough to pray honestly, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we really want God's will to be done in our lives and in the life of Abbey Church? Or do we really want our own will to be done? So there are some ways in which we can follow the example of Solomon, but not all of them by any means.